0: And we're going to see another time that Abraham and Sarah make a decision based out of fear rather than faith. The underlying problem here is a lack of trust in God. If you were here a few weeks ago, it's the same thing that we saw when Abraham lied in Genesis 12. If you remember, Abraham and his wife Sarah, they go to Egypt, and and when he gets on the way there, Abraham is like, if they know that Sarah's my wife, they're going to kill me because she's very beautiful and they're going to take her. So let's lie and say that Abraham's my sister. It ended up causing him all these problems. Why did he lie? Because he didn't trust God. And So we're going to see that same idea repeated in Genesis 16. I think the fact that we have repeated examples of the same lack of trust in God is an important thing to note, All right, I can almost preach the same sermon that I did a few weeks ago. I won't, right? But what we're going to see, the takeaway is, is the same. And my main point a couple weeks ago is this, fear causes us to make decisions based on our situation rather than on what God has said. And we're going to see that again in the passage this morning. All that to say, don't tune out. I think this lesson is repeated in God's word because you and I need it. We need to see this over and over because we are so prone to stop trusting God and to start looking for human solutions when we feel like God's not coming through for us. God's not there. Where is God? Where are you? Okay, I got to fix it myself. This is part of our nature and we all fight this battle to say, God, where are you? Okay, I'll handle it myself. I'll just make it work. And so we see in this life that Abraham, he's got these moments of like, man, Abraham is such a man of faith. And then he's got these moments you're like, Abraham, what are you doing? Why are you, you know, it's because it's us. We do that as well. And we need the grace of God. And the good news is that God gives us his grace. Finally, before we read, let's, let's kind of zoom out even more. What are we reading here? What are we looking at? Well, God has promised Abraham children. And through this family, through Abraham's family, one day Jesus, the Messiah, our Savior, would come. So this is not a random story in the Old Testament. It is connected to Jesus. It is showing us how God is working his plan of redemption. Even when Abraham and Sarah tried to make it work in their own way. Let's read Genesis chapter 16. Um, It's interesting. A little long, not super long, so engage with it, think about it, picture it in your brain, and, uh, and then we'll, we'll, uh, we'll break it down together. A, uh, Genesis 16. Now Sarah, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. She had a female Egyptian servant whose name was Hagar. And Sarai told, said to Abram, Behold, now the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Go into my servant. It may be that I shall obtain children by her. And Abram listened to the voice of Sarai. But Abram said to Sarai, Behold, your servant is in your power. Do to her as you please. Then Sarai dealt harshly with her, and she fled from her. The angel of the Lord found her by a spring of water in the wilderness, the spring on the way to Shur. And he said, Hagar, servant of Sarai, where have you come from and where are you going? She said, I am fleeing from my mistress, Sarai. The angel of the Lord said to her, Return to your mistress and submit to her. The angel of the Lord also said to her, I will surely multiply your offspring so that they cannot be numbered for multitude. And the angel of the Lord said to her, behold, you are pregnant and shall bear a son. You shall call his name Ishmael because the Lord has listened to your affliction. He shall be a wild donkey of a man. That's quite a description for someone, right? Uh, His hand against everyone and everyone's hand against him. And he shall dwell over against all his kinsmen. So she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her. You are a God of seeing. For she said, truly, here, I have seen him who looks after me. Therefore, the well was called Bir Lahairoi. It lies between Kadesh and Bered. And Hagar bore Abram a son, and Abram called the name of his son, whom Hagar bore Ishmael. Abram was 86 years old when when Hagar bore Ishmael to Abram. Let's pray, and then let's pull that apart a bit. God, again, we ask for your wisdom. Lord, that your spirit would speak to us through your word, that you would reveal to us, God, what you are speaking this morning. Let us have hearts that are humble. Let us have ears that are ready to listen. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So as we dig into this, we're going to see how human solutions will not accomplish the purposes of God. And as we say almost every Sunday, there's a lot going on here. So we're going to try to get into it. We probably won't get into every bit of it, but we're going to do our best. I don't know who I'm talking about in third person or in the, the we're I'm talking about up here. It's just me, but I'm going to do my best to explain. <laughs> uh, so, and again, just to clarify, uh, soon we're going to see where Abram's name is changed to Abraham and Sarai's name is changed to Sarah, but we're, I'm, just going to say Abraham and Sarah for the sake of simplicity. So when we look at this and we look at Genesis 16, there are two major sections. The first one is Abraham and Sarah's decision and the second one is kind of the result and things having to do with Hagar. So in verses 1 through 6, we see what Abraham and Sarah did. And if you remember, they have been promised a child, but verse 1 reminds us they still have no child, right? Sarah, Abraham's wife, had borne him no children. Now I think we need to pause and remember like the entire story of Abraham is built on the fact that God says, I'm going to make you into a great nation. You're going to have sons and grandsons and great grandsons and and so on and so forth until there's like thousands and thousands, right? And so like up to this point, they're stuck. They're like, we don't, what are we supposed to do? Like Sarah can't have children and they are still waiting. But it reminds us of this. They've been promised a child, but there's no child. Verse 2, verse 1 tells us, Sarah has an Egyptian servant named Hagar. Verse 3 tells us that it has been 10 years since they have arrived in the land of Canaan. So it's been even longer than that since God promised them children in Genesis 12. That's a long time. Even, you know, even for us to think about, well, for us to think about something waiting 10 years for something, like that's a long time, right? Is any, we have any like six-year-olds in the room? Anybody close to six? Can you imagine waiting? Like, to, the time to get your driver's license seems like ages and ages away, right? But, you know, 10 years, right? So they've been waiting a long time. And this, this passage shows us that Abraham and Sarah are tired of waiting. And they can't see how God is going to keep his promise. And so they take matters into their own hands. Verse 2 Says, Sarah says to Abram, hey, take, ha- take Hagar. Maybe, maybe God's going to give us a child through my servant. And Abraham listens. We'll get to that in a little bit. And so the story continues. Hagar is with, or Ab- Abraham is, is with Hagar. She conceives a child by Abraham. This seems strange to us, as it should, right? Um, but in this culture here at this time, this would have been a widely accepted practice. It doesn't make it right, but it would have been seen as something that was pretty normal of like, okay, if you want to have a lot of children, just like here, you know, have children, right? So it seems weird to us, but this would have been something that was widely accepted and culturally normal. Then verse 4 tells us that when Hagar knows that she is pregnant, it says she has contempt for Sarah. She begins to despise her, right? What's going on? There's some deep emotional and relational battles going on here, right? There's jealousy, there's anger, there's belittling. There's Sarah who is just, you know, I've never been in the position of not being able to have children, but I know that it is an emotional thing, right? And Sarah is dealing with that, and all of a sudden Hagar is like, well, you, you, who are you now? Like, I can have children. So Abraham's like mine, right? So there's all this stuff going on, right? It brings kind of a whole new level to like, this is a complicated relationship status, right? And it makes sense. Hagar has been used. She now has a child, but it's not really hers. And so there's a power struggle here. And she knows she's going to be pushed to the side in her mind, they're going to take the child, push her to the side, and she's like, I don't, I don't want that. And so she's angry. She has contempt for Sarah. And in verse 5, Sarah tries to put all the blame on Abraham. She's like, hey, I gave her to you, and now she hates me. And Abraham says, do whatever you want with her. And so both Abraham and Sarah together are very harsh to Hagar. They send her away into the wilderness. She's pregnant and alone in the wilderness. Here's what I want us to see, though, in this, in Verse 4. Um, we see this brokenness, but why does, there's, there's brokenness here that comes from Abraham and Sarah's decision, right? It's important to see that the brokenness led to more brokenness. This is often very true in our lives. When we try to fix something in our own power, it doesn't actually get better. It creates more problems, Right? Brokenness leads to more brokenness. And we'll get into more of that in a moment. So that's kind of what's happening here in the first half of this passage. Let's look at the second half of the passage, verses 7 through 16. This describes God coming to meet with Hagar. Hagar. Hagar has been sent away, and it says she is by a spring of water in the wilderness. And verse 7 tells us the angel of the Lord found her. Now, this, is a, this phrase, the angel of the Lord, is interesting. It can be seen many times in the Old Testament. And the phrase angel of the Lord can also be said in, a, in another way. It could be said messenger of Yahweh, right? The word angel means messenger. Lord, the word there means Yahweh. And so this is a messenger of Yahweh. And this is important. This being is speaking on behalf of Yahweh, which is to say this being is speaking on behalf of God. There are many people believe that the angel of the Lord in the Old Testament is a glimpse of Jesus in the Old Testament. Being fully God, speaking on behalf of God. In this this passage, he's referred to as the angel of the Lord. And then in verse 13, she just refers to him as God. So there's this Confusing overlap here of who who is this being? Well, it's not completely clear, but what I believe is what we're seeing here is God himself coming to meet with Hagar and interacting with her in an incredibly compassionate and loving and gracious way, which is the opposite of what Abraham and Sarah did, right? Right? So I, I think it can be argued that Jesus is the, uh, that this, is, this angel of the Lord is Jesus like in the pre-New Testament. But even if that's not the case, what I think we're seeing here is God coming to meet with Hagar. So the angel of the Lord comes to her and she, he says, where have you come from and where are you going? And he tells her to go back to Sarah. And he gives her a promise. He says, I'm going to multiply your offspring. And so there's this strange thing happening of God has promised Abraham through you, I will make a great nation. And yet Abraham in his sin fathers Ishmael, and God is still saying this is going to be a great nation. Like God is keeping his promises to Abraham. He says, I will multiply your offspring. Your son will be named Ishmael, which which means God hears what a beautiful picture of God's love and compassion. If you're Hagar and you're alone in the wilderness and pregnant and you basically think you're going out there to die and God comes to meet with you and says, I, I'm giving you a son and his name means God hears. And every time you say his name, it's a reminder that God hears and God knows. She, in, the, in verses 11 and 12, it tells us, Ishmael's life will not be easy. It will be full of contention and strife, and problems. But in this moment, God is caring for her. Verse 13, she says, you are a God of seeing. Truly here have I seen him who looks after me. We see the heart of God here. This is God's heart towards you and I. Hagar's been cast out. She's in the wilderness, pregnant, probably assuming she's going to die, and God comes to her. And he sees, and he hears, and he knows what's going on, and he cares for her. And that's a reminder for every single one of us this morning that God sees you. He knows you. He cares for you. This is the compassion and grace of God. every other culture probably would have just said, yeah, just get rid of her. And abused her in all kinds of ways. We see a picture of the grace of Jesus coming saying, No, you've, you've felt brokenness, you've been broken, you've been hurt, but I'm coming to restore because I'm a God of grace and compassion. This is who God is and how He deals with and how He interacts with Hagar. The passage ends telling us that Abraham's 86 years old. He has a son. We'll we'll come back to that in future sermons because um, Abraham is actually quite a bit older when God gives the promised son that they were waiting for. So there's a lot of time of waiting here, right? God, we all need to learn patience of waiting on God, and Abraham is a good example of that. So we've looked at this passage. I have three kind of reflections on this passage that remind us of this truth, that human solutions will not accomplish the purposes of God. The first kind of reflection is this, is looking at the place where faith begins. This one's kind of a, we're kind of stepping back from the story here a little bit, because the flow of the whole story of Abraham is important. And as we preach through it, we're kind of breaking it up a bit, like a little bit here and there, week by week. But, but it's all one story. It's, it's Abraham's life, right? So I, I already mentioned in Genesis chapter 15, God makes a covenant or a promise with Abraham, where God again reiterates he's going to give him his very own son and that his future family will be as numerous as the stars in the sky and that they would fill the land that God had promised to them. And so Abraham in this moment should be full of faith. Right? He has just met with God and God has, like if you remember this crazy story that Graham preached on last week where Abraham falls into a deep sleep and there's these animals and God cuts them in half and all of it was a picture of God saying, I'm going to keep my covenant to you and my promise to you. Abraham should be full of faith. He has just encountered God and heard these promises again. And then we come to Genesis 16. The next thing we see is Abraham and Sarah acting in doubt fear, and a lack of trust of what God has promised them. And I think Abraham and Sarah's actions teach us something, right? It is easy to have faith when everything is good, when we are on a spiritual high, when we have encountered God. But it can be so hard to live in that faith when we step away from that on Monday morning or when things don't feel right. And I think even the idea of church, this is a good example of this, right? We gather here and we sing these amazing songs. We're reminded of the faithfulness of God and we look in God's word and we go out of here hopefully encouraged and refueled and then we forget. And we forget the faithfulness of God and we are prone to say, oh, God, I can't trust you. I got to take care of it myself. So it leads to this question, where does faith begin? I think faith begins in the Genesis 16 moments of life. Because the Genesis 15 moments where God is just like there meeting with us, like in a sense that's an easy place to have faith. But when we come to the moments where we're saying, okay, now what? That is where faith begins. It's in the everyday moments of and decisions of life. When we're cooking a meal or folding clothes or unloading the dishwasher again or commuting to work or hanging out with friends, faith in these moments looks like continuing to trust in what God has promised even when we can't see it. Faith is easy in Genesis, six, in Genesis 15, it's hard in Genesis 16, but that is the nature of faith. Hebrews chapter 11, which is known as the chapter of faith, right? And in verse 1, it says, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. So there's this whole element of, if we want to learn to live by faith, that is not an easy place to live because we can't see the outcome. We don't know what God's doing, and it requires waiting and trusting, even when it doesn't make sense. So how do we live with faith? What helps us do that? And this is going to be super fast, and this could probably be a whole sermon on its own, but I think you're going to get the point. How do we live by faith? I'm going to give us three things. His Word, God's Word. We read it, we know it, we see who God is. As I've been preparing this, we think there's a sense where, like, you know, we think, okay, the New Testament, oh, that's great. Like, the stories of Jesus and these miracles, and it's easy. Like, it's very clear what, you know, what God is writing. And we go to the Old Testament, we're like, man, what's this, like, mistress and this? What's happening in these things? And yet, what I want us to see is when we dig into God's Word, the whole of God's Word, Old Testament, New Testament, we dig into it, we start to see, like a mirror, ourselves reflected We see who God is. We see who who we are and what we are like when we look at the life of Abraham. We need God's word. It helps us live by faith. So we need his word. Secondly, we need his spirit, right? This is not me saying, hey, be better, have more faith. That's not what we say. We know that we are weak, and we need the spirit of God to strengthen us and help us. So we need his word, his spirit. And thirdly, we need his people. We need each other to say, We need to walk by faith together. And here I am today. I'm struggling. I'm weak. I need you encouraging me. I need you praying for me. So how do we we think about this? This place where faith starts, it starts where life is, can be hard. But how do we do that? His word, his spirit, his people. Okay, that could be a whole sermon, but I'm going to move on. So where does faith begin? In everyday, normal life. Second thing we see, second reflection. We see the pitfall of human wisdom. Is anyone old enough to ever play the game Pitfall on Atari? I played that game. Does anybody have any idea what I'm talking about? A few, okay, good. right. I don't remember the point of the game, but I think you could fall into things. Hence the name of the game, right? The pitfall of human wisdom. This is the second thing we see in this passage, right? God is going to provide a child for Abraham and Sarah. Sarah, they just can't see it. They don't know when. It's not happening. We see the whole story. For them in real time, you can put yourself in that position. And you're saying, um, okay, God, you have gave us a promise, but there is nothing that makes sense about it. It's not happening. They're getting tired of waiting. Can anybody else relate? I can. Yeah, we can. Right? And we get to see in this passage the brokenness that results from trying to help God along with his plan. We've already mentioned, it's been 10 or more years of waiting. And Sarah here thinks that God needs help. And Abraham goes along with it. A a few weeks ago when I preached, I actually used this quote. I'm going to use it again because I think it's good. Um, And here's what it says from a commentary that I read. It says, one of the great weaknesses of Abraham is in believing that now and then the Almighty is in need of a helping hand. And we do that as well. It's the pitfall of human wisdom. Look in verse 2. Verse 2, it says, And Sarah said to Abraham, Behold, now the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Go into my servant. And then she says three little words here. It may be that I shall obtain children by her. As I was studying this, those those three words just stood out to me of how dangerous those words are in our own human world. Wisdom to say, it may be, or maybe, right? Maybe this is what God's plan is. Maybe I can be fulfilled in this way. Yeah, God said that, but maybe this is, maybe this is it. May, you know, this is what she's saying. She's like, I don't know, but it seems like God's forgotten, so maybe this will work, right? These are dangerous words of trying to walk in human wisdom. What's the starting point? Where, where does that, what's the root of that? What's the root of our human wisdom? Well, it comes in rejecting God's wisdom. Look at verse two again, where Sarah says, behold now, the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. She is blaming God for this. Sorry. and She's angry. and She's blaming God. She's like, look what God has done. She's rejecting his wisdom, and that's where we begin to start walking in our own wisdom when we reject God's wisdom. We're saying it's his fault. This is our natural default, to distrust God, to be skeptical of him. And it leads to walking in human wisdom. In verse 2, it says, Abraham, listened to the voice of Sarah. And I have a note that I wrote in my Bible a long time ago that just says, rather than the Lord, Right? Abraham, Abraham had heard the voice of God. He knew what God was promising very specifically. But in this moment, Abraham listened to the voice of Sarah rather to the voice of the Lord. And what she, was, what she was suggesting was standard practice. It's what everyone did. It made sense. It was logical to them. It just wasn't God's plan. And God's plan was, in his timing and in his way, are good. But trying to accomplish God's plan in our timing and in our way only leads to brokenness. Proverbs chapter 3 is a well-known scripture. This will be on the screen. It says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord. Turn away from evil. And I think this is a verse that looks nice with a, as you know, as an Instagram post with some mountains in the background or a poster with like a cat trying to climb. I don't know. It can seem inspirational, right? But here's what I want us to see. This is where the Christian life begins of saying, am I going to trust in myself? Am I going to lean on my own understanding? Am I going to depend on what I think I know? Or am I going to trust in the Lord and acknowledge him and say, God, I don't know what's going on, but I know that you are God and you know, and you are present and you are active and you are at work. And this verse comes with that promise that says, he will make straight your paths. Don't be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. So yeah, it might look nice on Instagram, but it's so much deeper than an inspirational Bible verse. It is God leading us, teaching us, showing us it is dangerous to depend on your own understanding, to do things that make sense to you instead of trusting in the Lord. This is Abraham and Sarah in this passage. They leaned on their own understanding. And their actions here are an example of brokenness, trying to fix something. They were trying something to fix their deep needs and desires, and we do this as well. We begin to walk in brokenness when we look to other things to fix the deep needs and desires that we have. We already pointed out how in verse 4, brokenness, their decision, Abraham and Sarah's decision led to more brokenness. Their actions led to the animosity with Hagar and even caused future issues with Ishmael and his descendants. What I want us to see is this chapter shows us the pitfalls of living in human wisdom. Now, this has nothing to do with saying, hey, God has wired us all. God has given us the ability to have common sense and to be wise and smart and make good decisions. Like, God has given us those things. But what we're looking at here is when we step out of saying, God, I I know what you've said, but I think my thing makes more sense. That's what we're talking about. So how does this play out in our lives? I'm going to give some examples that I gave a few weeks ago because I think they are so important and I think it's where we live, right? The pitfalls of human wisdom come when we try to find shortcuts in relationships. And you may be here today and you may say, I want to be married one day. I want to have this person. And I want to, you know what, I think the best thing is, is that I'm able to marry someone who loves Jesus and is kind and all of these things and wants to honor God with their lives. And yet, you look around and you're like, where are they at? I don't see them. Right? And the temptation there is to take a shortcut and say, well, it may be that this is the person. They're not really loving Jesus and following Jesus, that they're kind of doing their own thing, but maybe that'll work. And we get ourselves into brokenness. And maybe it's not in a dating or romantic relationship, or maybe it's in a friendship relationship. We say, I really need friends. I really want these people. And I want people that are going to encourage me and point me to Jesus, but where are they at? And so I'm going to settle. Maybe this will work. Maybe this will fill that need. And we take a shortcut for what God would intend We take shortcuts in, I think, in our physical desires. We think, hey, I want to be happy and feel good, and so maybe another bowl of ice cream is going to do that. But it's not, (laughs) right? (laughs) Or we think, you know, as humans, we have physical, even sexual desires. And to say, okay, what has God intended for that? God has given us those things, and yet we can try to take shortcuts to find fulfillment that only lead to more brokenness. We can try to take shortcuts in our finances to say, God, I know that I am to trust you, that you will provide, but I don't see it. I'm tired of waiting, so I'm going to try to figure it out on my own. And we get ourselves into brokenness. We can take shortcuts wanting to form me and shape me to be more like Jesus, but that takes a really long time, and so I'm going to try shortcuts, and I'm just going to try to improve myself and be better. But these are not the process that God is taking us through. So basically, human wisdom is that message we hear. Messages all around us, do whatever you want, when you want, do what feels good, but it's dangerous, and it's a pitfall, because human solutions will not accomplish the purposes of God. Finally, last point, and maybe you're thinking, okay, Abraham, you know, you're sitting here today, and you're like, okay, wait a minute. God came to Abraham and said, Abraham, Go to the land that I'm going to show you. I'm going to make you into a great nation. I will bless you. And through you, all families of the earth will be blessed. And Abraham says, yes, I obey. I go. And then God comes back and says, I'm going to give you a son. And so Abraham has this very specific thing. And maybe you're sitting there and saying, what promises from God am I actually waiting on? I mean, it was clear for Abraham, but what about me? What has God promised? So this point is the promises of God to you. One of the most common questions that I hear as a pastor, and I would guess a lot of people as a pastor would hear, is how do I know God's will for my life? It's a good question, and many of us have that. And I believe it is an important question, and I do believe that God guides and leads us as individuals, as families, to do specific things. He calls us and leads us in in specific ways. But more often than not, God is less concerned about specifically what we are doing and more concerned about who we are and how we are living. So when we ask that question, what is God's will for our lives, there is a sense that He has already made that abundantly clear to us through His Word. So if you have the question, okay, what what has God promised? What, what am I waiting on here? What, this, I, I get the story of Abraham, but what, what is that for me? And I would say this, we have heard from God. What are some things that we've heard? Well, Scripture shows us Jesus is the only way to God. We've heard that. We've heard the command, go make disciples of all nations. We've heard the commands over and over to love one another, serve one another, encourage one another, all of these things that Scripture has called us to do. We know that we are called to worship God and Him alone. And the list can go on and on. When we get into Scripture, we have heard from God. Now, here's the problem. We often try to avoid these things instead and instead do what we want and we try to help god in finding a fulfilling life when a fulfilling life is found in living for his glory so the in a sense the promise that god has given to us is saying that god has said i love you i have rescued you out of your sin i will forgive you and make you new i've sent you out with a mission And you can live your life for the glory of God. And in that, there is deep joy and deep fulfillment. But instead, we say, okay, yes, thank you, God. You've promised you're going to do those things. But maybe this would be better and we step out of what God has promised to us, and we try to find a fulfilling life in other things, right? We can come in our lives, just like Abraham, we can come to the point of joy, of seeing God's promises, of fresh surrender like Abraham did in Genesis 15, and then we face the realities of life, like in Genesis 16, verse 1, where we realize, oh wait, I still don't see it all yet, and we end up running to other things, to bring us joy, rather than Christ himself, the source of our joy. And so the promise that God has made to you and I is that he will be with us, that he is enough for us, that he will satisfy the deepest places of our hearts, that we don't have to strive or help God out in finding the joy and the purpose that God has designed us for he will do these things. And so God has made a promise to you. And for some of us, there are even more specific things where we know, okay, here's a desire that I have, but I'm just going to wait and trust that God knows what he's doing. But in the meantime, what do we do? We say, God, I want to live according to your word and obey and follow you and let you shape me and grow where I'm understanding that everything I need is found in Christ. Human solutions will not accomplish the purposes of God. I'm going to close with this, right? That phrase, you can put that back up there. That phrase is true. Human solutions will not accomplish the purposes of God, but God has a solution to accomplish His purpose. And we look to the cross and we look to Jesus and see that Jesus has accomplished everything on the cross. And when we look at the story of Abraham, it matters because it all points to Jesus. The promises that God has made to Abraham lead us to Jesus. And our human propensity to try to fix ourselves, to try to make ourselves acceptable to God and to others... It's all in vain. We can't use the human solutions of saying, okay, well, I just need to be better. I need to be more serious about this. I need to read the Bible more. I need to pray more. I need to, I need to be better. And if I do that, that's going to accomplish what God wants to do in my life. That's not what, the way that it works. We cannot fix ourselves. Our sin separates us from God, and there is no human solution that will save us, that will work. This is where the beauty and the truth of the gospel becomes clear to us that in our sin, in our brokenness, we have sinned against God. We are separated from God because of our sin. And we each have to come to the point where we understand, I can't just be good enough. I can't just do better. I've got nothing. But what I can do is come to God in humility and say, God, I am broken and sinful. I have no hope apart from you. Jesus, I have no hope apart from the cross because God sent Jesus to live a perfect and sinless life and he gave his life on the cross to pay the price for our sin, to take the wrath of God upon himself that you and I deserved, and he rose from the dead, conquering death. And it doesn't end there. It's that God welcomes us to himself. And His grace and His mercy. God says, Yes, I know you're broken. I know you're sinful, but I will make you whole. I will make you new. I will remove your guilt and your shame and the fear that you're living in. You can be a new creation through Jesus. And it is not by our own human solutions, it is by us humbling ourselves coming to the end of ourselves and saying, I got nothing but Jesus. You have done everything. You have accomplished everything so that I can be made new. Maybe you need to hear that for the first time this morning. And maybe you need to put your faith in Jesus. It may be that you've been trying to earn your way to God or just be better or find human solutions to get to God. But there is freedom found when we give up and put our faith in Jesus. Maybe you've heard it over and over and over again, but this truth of the gospel never ends. It is our daily strength. It is our daily solution to saying, what is this all about? What am I supposed to do? It's our daily protection against striving in the flesh. We're going to close, we're going to continue in worship here in a moment, but I do want to open up just the opportunity that if you want to pray with someone, if you want to know how to follow Jesus, we would love to talk with you and pray with you about that. If you just need someone to pray with you, if you have spiritual questions, we would love to do that. Human solutions will not accomplish the purposes of God. But praise be to God that he has sent Jesus to accomplish his purposes, to keep his covenant, and to show his faithfulness. Let's pray. Thank you for listening to the sermon from Renaissance Church. If you have any questions about the sermon or would like to know more, please feel free to contact us by email at renaissance.mtl@gmail.com gmail.com or reach out to us on social media. It's our passion to love Jesus, love each other, and love our world.